Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or maybe online somewhere, uh, as you probably can tell. Um, some of us just returned from Israel. Uh, I got in to my bed at 2 o'clock on Friday, Friday morning after, let's just say, an adventure getting home. And uh, so I'm a little jet lagged. But you know what? I'm full of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it doesn't matter. All right. So are you. Nothing new. All right, good. <laughs> it was a great trip. And listen, I feel like I would like to have everybody. Next year, we're, we're taking 15,000, 20,000 with us, okay? I would like to have everybody go because it's, it's, like, it's like something you've got to do in your lifetime. It's, it's uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, Israel families would take pilgrimages to Jerusalem. They'd save up their money, and they'd go. Jesus' family did that. It was like a pilgrimage for us, and uh, you just read your Bible in different ways. It's just uh, an incredible thing. Now, if you'd like information on our next trip, and trust me, I don't get anything uh, financially out of these. You know, sometimes, whatever, I'm just going to, I'll just say it that way. I'm, I, I don't get anything. I just want to bring people with me so that you can uh, experience uh, the land. And uh, if you'd like to have information about next time, uh, go to seacoast.org front slash Israel. And uh, we are, you're not signing up. You're just saying, hey, keep me informed. Uh, I'm interested uh, in, the, in the next time we go. The second thing I want to say before I get going today is that this Wednesday is First Wednesday. And First Wednesday is always awesome here. I, it's my favorite uh, service of the year or of the month. Uh, but... Uh, uh, this one will be especially unique because we're going to be recording a live album and a video and all kinds of things. We've been made all kinds of plans, uh, 13 brand new original songs, and uh, we just love to just pack this place with everybody we can. We invite all of our campuses to come too. I know it'll be jam packed. And those of you who sing really good, you guys come early and get the front seats. And others of you, you probably ought to be in the balcony. You just should. You know, I mean, I've listened to you a little bit. I'm going to be up there. You know, I mean, that's my. Actually, I'm going to be right here and, and uh, just mouthing the words so that I don't throw anybody off. So, so we're in a series. It's called AD. We're tracking along uh, with a television uh, series, actually, that uh, is talking about the New Testament church. And we thought, well, we'll jump on board with that and kind of put our own spin to it. We'll actually try to use the Bible in ours. And, uh, and, and we'll... <laughs> Not really. I love you guys. Uh, but uh, they do take a little liberty. But uh, we're in the ninth week. Now, usually in a long series, I get bored at about week four. I'm just going to be honest with you. And, and this one, I'm just loving, just teaching through the New Testament, really. And today we're going to talk about what happens when an enemy needs a friend. And some of you are going to relate to this. You're going to relate big time. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you uh, in, the, in the midst of it. So let me ask you this. How many of you have ever, at some point in your life, taken a risk on a relationship and it didn't turn out well? Don't raise your hands and don't point. Just you know who you are, okay? You know, you had this, you kind of, it could be at, uh, as a hiring authority, you know, work. And you've got this list of criteria, who you're looking for, you want certain character things, and you check references and all of that, and, uh, and you use that regularly, but one time. One time you, you said, you know, I'm just going to throw that out 
because I believe this person will be better this time. I, that's kind of the way I, that's why I don't hire anybody at Seacoast at all. Don't send me emails saying, I want to work for you guys. I want everybody to work for us. I really do. And you go through the proper authorities because I, I, I just believe everybody's going to change. You know what I mean? Just because just they messed up last time. And that's a great way to live life. It's a terrible way to hire people for, uh, to, to work with you. But maybe you did that and you had to pay consequences or maybe it's a relational risk that you took you know and you had all these values and criteria of what you wanted maybe in somebody that you were going to marry or whatever and you just threw it out the window and you took a risk and didn't turn out well you know we probably all paid you know some stupid tax in that area but let me flip it on, on its head have you ever took a risk on a relationship and had it turn out really well now, this is dangerous. This is dangerous because what I'm, what I'm going to talk to you about today are exceptions. These aren't the rules. I'm going to talk to you about ex- exceptions. And I want you to be very careful because you can take some of the things I'm saying and, and make some mistakes, okay? And I'll try to point that out as we go along. But I do want to talk to you about some important exceptions. I, I was in the foyer uh, a few weeks ago uh, talking to a family who attends church, a large family, and I was, they were kind of the last ones here, and they were just having a great time. And I, I went over to their circle and kind of busted in. There were a couple of brothers and wives and kids and just full of Jesus. Just, you know, just full of Jesus and full of life and having fun. And, and they happened to mention, they said, do you, do you remember when we first met at our other brother who wasn't there? He was at another service at his wedding. And boy, did I ever. I, I, I remember. Here's the, they, they said, I don't know if you knew it, but one of the brothers said, when we saw that you were there, we didn't know you, but we knew you were a preacher. When we saw that you were there, we said to our brother, why do you have a preacher? Why do you have the church involved in your wedding? That'll just tell you how far from God that they were. There wasn't even an expectation. It was out on the beach. And, and I remember it well. Um, back, I, back in the day, I used to do a lot of weddings. And I had, and still do, a list of criteria people I'll marry. I won't just marry anybody. I, if you're asking me to marry, you're asking for the blessing of God on your, on your marriage. And so I, you know, I, I, would, I would assume that you, you, would, you would want to do things God's way. And so I always had a list of criteria. Both of you need to be believers, not unequally yoked. You needed to honor God with your sex, sexuality. You needed to be willing to dig down deep uh, into what could be uh, relational minefields through premarital counseling. I just had a whole list of things. And, and, uh, and, I, and I remember sitting with this couple, and he was far from God. And so immediately that was one of those deals that I'm probably not going to be involved in. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said this is an exception. Now say exception together. Exception. Exception happens once every five billion times, okay? So don't build your life on exceptions. But I felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit. Now, I asked some other leaders around me to kind of verify that, hey, I'm okay on this because how of you know that some of your promptings can be bad burritos? And that, you know, that could have been the case. But, but I felt like, no, just the Lord was saying, take a flyer on this one. And uh, I, I'm in control. And so I threw out the list and said, yes, I'll do this. And he came to Jesus. And not only did he come to Jesus, his entire family came to Jesus. And there was a reason there was a reason for that. And sometimes, sometimes we, we have to take a risk 
uh, on, uh, on relationships, and, and in that case, it was the right choice. I, you know, it's risky to love, Je- love people. I was going to say love Jesus. That's not risky at all. But love people. How do you know it's risky sometimes? Because people will hurt you, and sometimes they can't be trusted. We've all been burned by somebody in the past. The idea of taking risk on relationship for some of you today, you're going, boy, it's not a good time for this message because I've just come out of something that's very hurtful, and hopefully you're not telling me I've got to go back. I want you just to hang in there. See, sometimes God wants us to take a risk. It's what he has in mind. And sometimes on the surface, it makes very little sense. That's exactly the circumstances that a Christ follower named Barnabas finds himself in in Acts chapter 9 in verses 26 through 31. He has to make a decision, Barnabas, to take a risk on a relationship that nobody else around him is willing to take. He overcomes a number of common obstacles that we'll go through some of them and ultimately invests in a risky relationship that winds up literally shaping the course of Christianity. It impacts your life and impacts mine. As we study his story today, God may very well prompt you with the name of somebody that he's at work in. It could be somebody that's an enemy to you. You see them as an enemy. It may not be, but it very well could be. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you during the message. All I ask is that you bring that alongside of his word and just ask for his wisdom. We'll try to give you some guidance as we go along. He may even nudge you toward a step of faith that could change the course of a life or a family or even a community of faith. So let's read this story, Acts 9, and uh, verses 26 through 31. You can follow along on the screen or on the outline sheet or in your Bible if you'd like. Here's, here's what it says. It says, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and he brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them, and and he moved freely about in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And, and he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. And living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. Just an aside, as I read that, my mind goes to the pictures of the place of Caesarea. We were there in Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem. This comes alive. Saul's a newly converted disciple who formerly was a bad dude. He was an enemy of the church. He was a leader in persecuting the church. He hunted Christians down. He was not only opposed to the church, he wanted to destroy the church. He abused a lot of people, sent people to to jail, and no doubt was involved in several deaths. We know that Stephen's death was at the behest of Saul. And, And now he wants to join the church, trying to find a small group. Nobody wants him. Have you tried the Baptist church, they said? You look like a Catholic. You need to go there, you know. 
Nobody, nobody wanted Paul. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? This is a bad guy. They know who he is. They know what he had done. And maybe some of them even wanted to believe that he had changed. But I'm not taking a risk on that. And I think if I would have been in their place, probably you too, I would have done the same thing. Why? Because relationships are risky. Let me talk to you before I get into the whole Barnabas factor. Let me talk to you about what keeps us from taking a risk on people just by looking at Saul's situation. First one's obvious. Fear keeps us from taking risks on people. Fear of rejection, most often the fear of hurt. When it comes to taking a risk on somebody who's hurt us in the past, we're probably most afraid of being hurt again. Some of you are there right now. You've been hurt by somebody, by an ex, or by a former employer, or by a, a roommate, or, or maybe a child. And they come to you and they say, hey, I've changed. I want to start again. And you go, you know, that's great for you, and you've changed, and that's awesome. But I still got a lot of residue. I still got hurt, and I've got fear. Are you going to do this again? We want to believe they can change, but we're afraid. Saul had hurt people. He'd thrown men and women into prison. He'd probably broken up families. If you're a Christian living back then and you hear that Saul's coming to town, you leave. You don't want anything to do with him. And then he, he shows up in Jerusalem. And no doubt rumors begin to circulate that something's different about him. And you want to believe the rumors, but there's a lot of rumors. Remember, the disciples weren't just protecting themselves. They were protecting their families. They were in, protecting the em, entire community of believers. And taking a risk on one man just didn't seem worth it. They were afraid. Can you imagine the conversations that went on? You know, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, Peter, who was the most prominent leader of the church, was, was there at the same time. Imagine their conversation. It may have gone something like this. You know, when I was coming here, I was so excited. Barnabas had told me so much about you. And yes, I know what we were to each other before, but I thought, I genuinely thought that when I saw you, you more than anyone, I thought it would be incredible. But you just sit there and judge me. Why do you think he chose you? Because nobody could have stopped me from getting to you except him. Let's go out. Let's preach his message. Now we can go out. Because of you, we've been hiding! Will you never let this go? Do none of you practice what you preach? It's not that easy! Isn't it? You all bicker and prattle like children when inside each of you is the greatest gift. And you have to share that with mankind. You have to. And I have to too. You went after my daughter! Yes, I did. All I've ever done is hurt you, Peter. Jesus should have struck me down, but he didn't. He forgave me. And I must beg you for your forgiveness, too. Has he never had to forgive you for anything, Peter? 
know when Ananias came to my house. He told me that Jesus had sent him. He told Ananias that I will suffer. That I will suffer for his name. Oh, I will never forgive myself for what I did to you, but I am scared. I am so scared that the pain I feel right now is nothing compared to what will come. It would be easier to run, but I can't. Now. says, Jesus could have struck him down, but he didn't. He chose to forgive him. That's good news for Paul. That's difficult news for Peter. They're afraid. Here's a second thing that keeps us from taking risk, and that's doubt. And it's similar to fear. We doubt. We, we, we want to believe. If you could have been in the disciples' place, would you have believed that God could change Saul? We want to. But somebody said that when something sounds too good to be true, it's usually what? Not true. Maybe it isn't true. It's understandable to be wary when someone comes to us claiming to have changed. What if they're wrong? What if they're lying? We'll just get hurt. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody over and over and over again. And now that you're at the point where you don't feel like you can trust that person again. We know we're supposed to believe that God can change anybody but it just seems like there's so many people that never really do change. And if we're talking about a person who can harm me and hurt me, the safer thing is to stick with my doubt, right? Why, why risk on a lost cause? Fear and doubt. Here's one more. It's probably the most sinister. It creeps up on us. It's called cynicism. Cynicism keeps us from taking a risk. It's different than fear and doubt in one sense. It sounds like it. But it, 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 it's what happens when we decide that our preconceived prejudices represent reality. This is what I believe, and it's real. And it gets kind of hard. It's, it's when fear and doubt gets hardened within us. Cynics like to say, I'm just being real. But you know what it is? It's taking all of our fear and doubt. And it's forging them into an armor that we can wear to protect us from the world. And that's cynicism. Now, I doubt all of the disciples were cynics, but some of them had to be. They'd seen what Saul had done. And they said, he'll never change. See, when we have a chance to take a risk on somebody, fear says they might hurt you. Doubt says they probably haven't changed. Full-blown cynicism says they will hurt you, and they will never change. They will ne have, you ever, have you ever said something like that? Which of these do you struggle with in your life? It may be fear right now. It may be doubt. Or it may be full-blown cynicism. Well, you're not alone. The disciples were feeling all of these things, which is why they steered clear of Saul. His, conversa or his conversion could have been an act just meant to trick them and to hurt them. But there's one other possibility, and that's this. He could have been transformed by the power of God. And in this story, it seems that there's only one guy, one guy that believes that, and his name is Barnabas. We don't know why he believes. We don't know why 
He decided to go looking for Paul. Maybe they knew each other. Maybe Barnabas had heard something. Or maybe he just decided Saul was worth the risk. Or maybe it was a part of his personality. I tend to lean to that. We first hear about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. Uh, and, And it says that his name literally meant son of encouragement. He's just a guy that goes around encouraging people. Just encouraging encouraging and maybe it's just Barnabas being Barnabas saying I'm going to be an encourager we don't know we don't know but uh, whatever reason Barnabas decided to look for Saul and found the truth for himself and what he found changed everything so what did Barnabas do and how can we be more like him What, what what does it look like for us to love people that God loves and take a risk on their lives How can we be a Barnabas for others? Let me give you three real quick things. Number one, we've got to take the time to hear their story. First, we've got to take the time to hear their story. Someone said the reason God gave us two ears and one mouth was because he intended for us to listen twice as much as we talk. How many of you would agree with that? Apparently, Barnabas did that. I mean, in the verse, it says that that Barnabas went to Saul, and then he introduces him to church. He tells the church his whole story. Where did he get that? from Saul, from listening. He listened. Sometimes it's, most of the time, it's better to listen than lecture. How many of you would agree? Need to listen. Not anybody agrees. Here, Okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Let me give you five words that could transform any relationship that you have. How about that? Five words. Here they are. That's interesting. Tell me more. Say that together with me. That's interesting tell me more. Somebody thought, some of you thought I was going to tell you something profound and now you're disappointed. Well, I want you to write it down because it's profound. That's interesting. Tell me more. If you'll use those words, you can, they're simple, but they are incredibly inviting. Try it sometime. The other person will relax. We're talking enemies here. Talking enemies. You know, I, uh, in Israel, I went with certain expectations. And this year, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to somebody who was a Palestinian. You need to understand, up front, you know, there's a big political issue going on. I'm a supporter of Israel. I don't apologize for it. The Bible says that we ought to bless uh, Israel, that those who bless will be blessed, those who curse will be cursed. I'm not very smart, but I know that I want to be on the blessing end. Okay. And so I do. The Bible says that we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So I do. Jesus said that we ought to be peacemakers, that we will, that there's, a, there's a certain blessing that comes with that. And so I do. Now, does that mean that I just give Israel a free pass? No. No. I believe you can love Israel and be critical of some of the things that they do. That was the role of the prophets in the Old Testament. Every once in a while, a king would do something that was out of the character of God, and a prophet who loved Israel would step up and and rebuke in these areas and say, you need to change. And so I don't give give just a blanket pass, but you need to know that I I love Israel. I love Israel. At the same time, I wanted to hear from somebody else that lived in the land, and I've been praying for that for a couple of years, and so it was interesting. I heard from two of them. One of them was a camel, a guy that had a camel. It wasn't a camel, but he was a guy... (laughs) He was a Palestinian that had a camel, and he was not a nice man. And uh, in fact, in the video, 
um, that, uh, that Josh Walters did in the, the, the little announcement thing that most of you saw before this message. When he said it was 108 degrees, right behind him, where the cameras are, cameras are here, Josh is back to the city. There's a, there's a camel guy up here that was mad that we didn't take enough camel rides at $20 a pop that he's yelling, Americans can burn in hell. And I thought, well, it's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be in your land. But, uh, but we went to Bethlehem one day, and it was a long day. I get a little agitated at long days, and I'm tired and all this kind of stuff. It's hot. And uh, our guide said, we've got to stop by this, this store to give people a chance to shop. And I said, how about we shop tomorrow? I'm not much of a shopper, and we'd been learning about ritual immersion, and I wanted to go ritually emerge myself in the swimming pool at the hotel where we were at. That's where I was at. Your pastor was there. And I had a little argument with our guide, and the guide said, you know what, it will be offensive for us not to do this. I said, okay, we'll do it. I just won't enjoy it. And um, how many of you know that it's sometimes in moments like that that you are ready to hear God speak? Okay, And so I went into this store, and somebody said, the owner wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh, this will be a joy. <laughs> and so I went and sat down. He offered me water, which I thought, that's good. And we sat down, and we talked for probably 30 minutes. And he was a Palestinian Christian. And it took me a while to get the idea that this is what I'd been praying for, was kind of time together with, with a Palestinian. And so he began to talk, and... I had been crafting this message, and so I said, oh, that's interesting. Please tell me more. And he did. And he got into the whole politics of the situation, which are probably different than my politics. No, they're definitely different than my politics. But, you know, rather than lecture, what the Lord asked me to do is listen. Because you get a lot, lot further when you listen rather than lecture. In fact, I believe that in our country, and we see it manifest around the world, that the extremes are dominating and that we're not listening to one another. Oh, well, the only people we listen to is people that believe just like we do. And I think sometimes, I think the answer is to sit down and listen. And so I listen. And at the end of his talk, he looks at me, because we had related real well, and he said, do you agree with me? And I said, I agree to listen to you. <laughs> Don't have to agree with everything. But there's no harm, no foul in listening, in listening. I could tell you a bunch of situations recently, for the sake of time I'm not going to, where I've sat down with people who see worlds from a different point of view entirely than me. And rather than try to convert them to my point of view, first we listen. We listen. And so listen. And that's apparently what, what Barnabas did. The rest of the Disciples assumed that they knew everything they needed to know about Saul. They either assumed they already knew his story or they were too afraid to find out differently. But when we listen to someone else's story, our opinion of them often changes because we understand it. By the way, that Palestinian businessman gave me his card and we promised to keep in touch. And I think I've got a friend, which is a good place. You know, you can throw rocks from a distance. You can only influence when you're up close. Now, that was pretty profound. It's actually in my book, the non-best-selling book that I wrote a couple years ago. 
See, when we listen to somebody else's story, our opinion often changes. So first thing you do is, is listen. The second thing you do is verify the facts. Now, this is very important because if all we do is take someone at their word, there can be devastating consequences. Again, here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. We're talking exceptions here, okay? We need to listen, but we also need to verify. It's important to remember that Barnabas didn't insist that the church welcome Paul until he met him and checked out his story. Barnabas didn't say, oh, you ought to practice hospitality. Oh, you need to learn to forgive. I know that God killed some people in your family, whatever, not God, but Saul did, but we need to forgive. You need to welcome him in. That wasn't his story. Barnabas listened, and then I believe he verified. He verified. Wanted to make sure Saul was for real before uh, because if it was all a lie, the entire church would be in danger. Let me be clear. Be willing to take risks on people does not mean that we throw caution to the wind and open up ourselves and our families and our friends to abuse. That's not what it means at all. We need to discern ourselves for ourselves, whether God is truly at work in their lives and whether they're, or whether they are simply trying to manipulate us. There is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, anytime I talk about forgiveness, because I, 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 we preach on it regularly, I think it's the number one skill that we need to learn in our life is forgiveness because you're going to be hurt. But anytime I talk about forgiveness, there will be people who have been hurt in relationships that immediately click off and say, are you telling me I've got to move back in with a man who was abusive to me? I've got to, I've got to uh, you know, uh, be friends with someone who hurt me tremendously? And, and, I, and I go, no, 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 no. You're confusing forgiveness and reconciliation. See, forgiveness is automatic. You've got to forgive. And it's about you more than it is anybody else. You cannot live with bitterness. You were not created to. Bitterness will destroy every relationship. You think you're just bitter toward that person, but it will pour out in every close relationship that you have. You cannot afford bitterness. You must forgive. But reconciliation is not always the best option. Sometimes it's best to forgive from like a thousand miles away <laughs> and stay that way. Reconciliation is to occur only if there is a verification of the facts. Like this, how, how true, has true repentance really occurred? And sometimes you need other people in your life to really help you sort that out. This person really repenting or are they just sorry they got caught? Has true repentance really occurred? Is there a willingness to make restitution? Is there a willingness to do whatever it takes to make it right? Is there evidence of a changed life? And usually that takes a period of time. I don't know what all Barnabas and Saul talked about. Maybe Barnabas asked him to tell his story several times over to see if there were inconsistencies. Or maybe Barnabas had heard his story from somebody else and he just wanted to hear if Paul was going to say the same thing. Or maybe God had revealed the truth to Barnabas and he just wanted to make sure Saul was still a committed follower. Whatever Barnabas did to verify the facts, he left convinced and he made sure that all of his doubts were addressed before he brought um, Saul to the rest of the disciples. And you know, 
we can endanger our families. We can endanger our children by making foolish decisions about reconciliation before verifying the truth and the facts. So, so we listen, and so we verify, and here's the third thing we do. We trust in God's power. We trust in God's power. It's actually the first thing we need to do. That's reject cynicism and trust in God's power. See, if we decide to take a risk on somebody and we begin the process with a cynical attitude, you know, they'll never change. People don't change. People like that never change. But oh, well, I'll, you know, the pastor says I ought to give them a, a benefit of the doubt. That's not the benefit of the doubt. Then you're happy when they, when they blow it. Say, see what I told you? That's what a cynic does. You never see Jesus being cynical in the Gospels. Why is that? Cynics pride themselves on being realistic, on understanding the way the world really works. Nobody understood people of the world better than Jesus. Nobody was hurt more than Jesus was. So why wasn't he a cold-hearted, jaded cynic? One reason, this is so important, because he knew the power of God. He knew the power of God. There's a great scripture in uh, Matthew 22 and verse 29 when some of the religious leaders, the Sadducees, tried to trap him with a trick question and Jesus told them what their problem was. He said, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. He said, you guys think you're real smart, but you don't understand the scriptures. And you don't understand the power of God. See, Jesus understood better than anybody else that God can transform anyone. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you believe that? Do you? Who are you having a hard time believing that God can change by his power? It might be a son. It might be a daughter. Could be a coworker. Could be a brother or sister. It could be a spouse. It could be an ex. Could be a competitor. For me, early on, is my sister. We were raised in a great family. My sister wandered from God. I was in college. I really did have the thought, she'll never come back. She was so far gone, she'll never come back. And I remember when I heard from a distance that she had given her life to God, that she had made a change with her life. I had to come see it for myself because I couldn't believe it. And when I verified the facts, it reemphasized in my heart, you know what? God is powerful. God can change anybody. There may be somebody that's hurt you or somebody that you've watched from a distance and, and you wonder, how in the world can that person ever be right? Never forget the power of God. At some point in our lives, We've all had a Barnabas in our corner, somebody who believed in us when nobody else did. They were willing to take a risk on us, and it changed our lives. We needed a Barnabas, and now somebody else close to you needs you to be theirs. We need to move past our fear and be willing to hear their story. We need to overcome our doubts by verifying the facts, and we need to reject cynicism and trust in God's power. Barnabas took a risk and it changed the world. And I believe God's asking you and I to do the same thing. Are you looking for opportunities to take risks in faith? 
Who in your life needs a Barnabas? Just maybe you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for this wonderful group of people who it's my privilege to be able to address weekends. I love them. You love them. Now, God, I pray that you would search deeply into our hearts and we would respond to you in ways that would be honoring to you. God, for some of us, this might be a difficult message to hear. For others, we're so desperate for somebody to believe in us. God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would apply it into all of our lives. And in the next few minutes that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.